Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice Podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well I've got a bit of a treat for you really, Uh, I think it's a treat anyway. Over the next couple of weeks I'm going to share two parts of a panel discussion that I um, hosted around the topic of co-living. So this has become you know a bit of a buzzword I suppose in in the industry, co-living. Um, as, as you'll discover from the very first question, co-living is not HMOs, but um, it could be the future direction of HMOs in some respects. Uh, but there's more to it than that, as you're going to hear throughout this conversation. So there's introductions to the panellists as we get into the, uh, into the conversation. So I won't introduce them at this point in the introduction here. Suffice to say that um, we've got you know, an hour and 22 minutes of discussion We've got about five or six people on the panel who really understand this, whether as operators uh, at different elements of, uh, of the co-living industry, as it were, or indeed of occupied co-living spaces themselves. So I'm looking forward to sharing this with you. Um, I've shared it with somebody else in the community just privately before this, and they called it a, a right banger. <laughs> That's what their description was. So let's go with that. We're going to have a right banger of a discussion around co-living. So I'll just set it up now and let you take it on from here. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Well, thank you very much for all the panelists for making their time available today. We've got a very exciting topic, and uh, we're just having the conversation before the conversation that co-living is um, it's probably something we wouldn't have you know, thought about too much in the recent past. Um, but over the last 12, 24 months in particular, we started to hear this, this word pop up quite a lot in property circles. So um, very, it's very good and, and opportune, I think, to have uh, an exciting panel, and uh, we could probably say international panel of guests uh, here today. So we might use a lot of uh, UK language. Sorry about that, David Bonk, but um, obviously this applies very much internationally, and hopefully we'll get this message across. Just going to do a very quick uh, introduction of the panelists uh, by name. I've got. Uh, Dan Jackson from Urban Shared, who operates 15 co-living properties in London and is creator of the Connected app, uh, which facilitates uh, add-on services, uh, community and better housemates experience. So uh, that's going to be exciting. Uh, Luke Spikes from Higgy House, um, co-living, boutique hotel and service accommodation operator in Bristol in the UK. David Bonk, principal of Home Free who is a Canadian community living developer specialising in um, looking after uh, facilitating older adults and accommodation. And, and Gareth Owen, who is the assistant editor of YPN magazine and very, very importantly, a co-living customer, to give us a bit of a balanced perspective there. And, and not, not least um, of which we've got David Thomas, who's director of Liberty Gate, which I am told is an award-winning estate agency based in Nottingham. So. Um, I, by the way, am Richard Brown, also known as a property voice, very interested in the topic, generally speaking, having authored a book called uh, Hashtag PropTech, but I'm going to try and ask questions more than answer them in this session. So with with that in mind, probably the best place to start is what on earth is co-living? 
Does anybody want to have a stab at uh, trying to start us off with a, a kind of definition, which I'm sure we can all contribute to? Well, it's not HMOs. And I think one of the one of the challenges I've been facing in recent times, having been focused on this for a little while now, is you've got an awful lot of people who are relabeling an HMO co-living because it feels convenient and very timely thing to be doing, uh, when in fact they're making no fundamental changes to what their product or proposition was before, and therefore it isn't really co-living. So that, that'll be a, a sort of negative point to start off with, I guess. Uh, for me, uh, it really is more about feeling and experience and the sense of, of community that you create. And, and the essence of it is reduction of the amount of private space, should we call it, but a significant increase in the amount of shared amenities uh, to make more efficient, more effective use of the properties and the buildings. So, so th that to me is what co-living is all about. How do, you, how do you create from a building or a piece of land a property that allows a higher density, but at the same time doesn't compromise the experience of living in that place? That, 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 that's where I would go with it anyway. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so this this spirit almost that comes with it. It's not just the shared space. Um, there's there's other aspects of that community. Um, what else? It's not an HMO, but what is it? Um, when I was looking for my place to live, um, so I decided to sort of go down the digital nomad kind of route um, for a while uh, till I found my boyfriend and came home. Um, and um i know oh. <laughs> and uh i was sort of looking for somewhere that i could just pitch up stay for a month and i could just come with my suitcase everything was provided um and it had my workspace um it had somewhere where i could sleep uh it had a kitchen and the place that i ended up staying in barcelona was um it had free tea and coffee as well which was very nice um so yeah it was just somewhere for me that i could just pitch up in a new city be with people who were similar to me who are all remote workers and yeah just so i could have that kind of landing pad where i could just sort of come and everything was fine so almost you know everything was provided for you if you like yeah, yeah. And, and did um, was there any sort of minimum commitment for the length of stay that you would have typically? Um, yeah, one month. Um, and there were a couple of other places I was looking at where I could have just stayed, you know, for a week, two weeks. Um, so, but it, the particular house that I ended up living in was one month minimum. Um, so it was quite nice for me to have that flexibility that after a month I could go, actually, no, I'm ready to move on or do what I did, which is actually extend my stay for another month because I liked it so much. Sure. So we're touching on something there, which I think is quite important, isn't it? That, you know, the sharing economy, um, you know, there's a word thrown out there called democratization, um, you know, sharing assets in a new way. Not necessarily. So with with um, housing, typically people tend to enter into long term lease or tenancy types of arrangement. And you just said you could be there for you know a month for mm. time. So that's, that's one key difference, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I quite liked not having a minimum commitment because you know what if I didn't like Barcelona? What if I didn't like the people that I was living with? Um, I could have just moved on. Sure. And, and Gareth, just um, if you don't mind me asking, and you don't feel free not to share, but uh, what sort of age range are you in? <laughs> I am 25. You're 25, so you would be a, a, a millennial. 
I guess. Yeah, I don't, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't like the word, but yes. <laughs> you probably can tell where I'm going with the question. I and so, um, is, is, this, is this model of co-living just for young people? Uh, David Bonk, perhaps, maybe you have a view on that. Uh, I don't think so. In my house, sorry, David, there's, um, I had from 18-year-olds up to sort of, uh, she was just over 40. So there was quite a big age range in my house. Oh, co-living ends at 40. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, I guess I look at in many ways that older adults, seniors have already been co-living as far as the, the physical properties, you know, extended care, independent living. It's, it's already been that model since, you know, popularized in the eighties in Virginia, in the U S and I mean, now it's, it's big business, right? Seniors coming together to live in a smaller uh, room with larger shared amenities. However, something big is missing. So co-living is, is more than just that smaller room with shared amenities because that's been around and older adults have been doing it for, for 40 years. So what, so absolutely, you know, it's just what is co-living and how, how can we sort of tweak the, the model of the way that seniors have discovered to live together in safety and community? Uh, well, I think really it is adding in that community piece and, and providing access for the people who live there with, with a sense of ownership somehow. Which is what, which is how we're trying to tweak the, you know, the independent living model. So, so yeah, it's uh, it's already a, a a big thing, and and the 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 new group of aging population, the baby boomers, um, aren't aren't looking to live in the same way that their parents and and grandparents did in in these types of facilities. They're looking for something new, and in in my opinion. And, uh, co-living is is that answer so go ahead <clears throat> it's a really interesting point David because one of the things that we started out doing is focusing on millennials sorry and her young professionals <clears throat> um, and interestingly in the in the, the age ranges that we're encountering are pretty much as Harold just said between well, early 20s and early 40s um, <clears throat> but if you actually if you think about it as we have done each and every stage in life presents you with a different set of challenges with regard to the type of space you need, but not fundamentally with the need to belong. It's very tribal, you know, needing support, needing a sense of, for an expansive um, definition. And as we started to think about it, we went, hang on a minute, as you take your next stage in life, maybe you're a couple now, what, what might you need? Well, the same things fundamentally. And then you move on to a couple with children, you know, now it's multifamily, and this is called occurring in the US or small, small family units. Then you go on in what daughter uh, labelled the higgy in the middle, which was um, the unfortunate consequences of, of, of divorce, where you have that separation with individuals who have children um, in the mix. How do, you, how do you cater for a property or an environment which allows for kids to come stay on weekend, for example? So and you keep moving and you get up to um, older adults, as I heard it referred to the other day, or seniors. And actually, the things are fundamentally the same. And so we've, we've revisited our strategy and our vision our model and we're now defining what we're doing as through life social living because that's fundamentally what it is and then seeking to create product at each stage that meets the stage of life so you you you've, you rethink the space that's required 
you rethink the services that might be required to foster community. But fundamentally, the underpinnings are the same. And so I don't think it matters whether it's a young millennial uh, or, uh, or an older millennial or an, uh, an older adult or someone in, in middle life or a, or a, or a family. It, there are co-living opportunities across the, across the stages of life. And that's how we'd like to think about it. So age is no barrier. And uh, uh, David Thomas, I'm going to come to you shortly about maybe on the sort of demand side, um, uh, you know, as an estate agent. But perhaps before I do, Dan, maybe to cue you up a little bit, we've heard about um, some of the convenience aspects um, already. We've heard about the age, not necessarily being a barrier, but maybe there's an association of co-living predominantly with a younger group. I don't know. Um, Luke, you're quite right that um, there's a growing need amongst all age groups. But, but you know, Dan, what, what do you think? You know, is there anything missing from this discussion about what co-living is? Well, I mean, I think so far we've, we're, we're kind of homing in on, on what we all collectively think co-living is. And I think it's about <clears throat> improving essentially the customer experience in a shared home, uh, whether that be for the, the millennial generation moving up through to kind of um, the older adults. Um, I think, however, there's, there's also an element of, whilst the space is important, and I, you know, I take on board that Luke's kind of view that the space evolves as the requirements change, mm. which is actually a really interesting way of looking at it, because absolutely that happens. I think there is a, 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 also needs to be a focus on uh, on how we can use other tools to foster community and to create the feeling of belonging. Um, and obviously, you know, you said you're teeing me up, but I'm very, very focused on the technology side of um, our product um, because I, I believe that um, pro uh, property is, is the biggest asset class globally and it's very underinvested in from a technology perspective. Um, spreadsheets are used all over the, the industry. There's, there's very little focus on user experience, certainly in the kind of in the tenant space. I think you know the investment in technology is certainly in areas like, for example, you know investment and, and all those sorts of things. Um, but we're very focused on what we can do to essentially put the control of the of, of the of the built environment into the hand of the user. Um, and whilst our platform is in early stages you know we're seeing now technology from the states which is where a lot of these things tend to start that's really focused on how can we how can we help them create community um you know how can we for example simple things how can we how can we make the attendance of an event whether that be in the space or whether it be down the road in a in a in a space that we can borrow but how can we create community using technology and that for me is really part of the co-living experience. On the one side, you have to have nice properties that you know that 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 work for people in terms of you know their their living their living space. But I think you also need to think about how you can use other things to create a feeling of community. Absolutely. So we we're getting there. I think we've got some convenience. We've got some community. We've got some shared space. We've got the use of technology. I think there was a hint at services. Um, certainly in some of the some of the comments that have come back. But um, David Thomas, I promise you that we'll bring you in. And uh, obviously from your point of view, uh, I don't know if you've got lettings as well as sales under your um, banner. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm really I'm curious because obviously, how does this all hang from a from the sort of estate agent shop window point of view? Um, what is co-living to you and and to your um, peers and indeed customers? Bizarrely, this is one of the first times I've ever actually heard of it, and to just seeing all the people here and understanding the concepts that you're working with and things like that it's very niche in the market and what's interesting is the estate agency sector is very behind on it um i've not ever heard of it discussed at industry events or um, anything to do with the private rental sector and i think that's maybe because it is quite niche at the moment um as an industry we're quite behind because we've only just recently started doing serviced accommodation management and the, with the whole Airbnb thing. But we're a very, there's very few agents that are even doing that. So I think mainstream estate agency is because of the disruption at the moment, because of the regulation and all the things that are changing, the tenant fee act and all these sort of things that are hitting the industry. The, the estate agency sector is very much sticking to what it knows at the moment. It's either focusing on lettings or sales or maybe the commercial angle. Um, but what would be really interesting is, I think, if there's a specific city that has a developer doing this, then I think it would be great for a state agency to get more involved with it. Because from what I've heard and what I've researched for this, it would be an essential part to the private rental sector because it really lacks that. I mean, if I had something like this that I could offer here in Nottingham to tenants, they would jump at it because at the moment they don't have that stepping stone and they don't have that community inclusion element to anything that they're offered. So yeah, it's an interesting concept. Very much so. I think um, the, you, one of the interesting points, by the way, if you're, if you're an estate agency offering serviced accommodation uh, management, you're already ahead of the curve. Uh, yeah. I think. So, um, and that's quite, un it's, it's quite bizarre because it has been around for quite a period of time. Um, and that's where this co-living as well. I think this has a lot more where the synergy could work with a state agency to sort of get it out to a wider population and, and get more people aware of it, really. I mean, what, what are the thoughts generally on the panel about, you know, if we think about, you know, disruptive technologies like Uber, Airbnb, generally speaking, um, a lot of the disruption has come from the technology. Uh, itself as a platform, making it easy to access for people. Is it is it going to disrupt and you know shake up industries, traditional industries such as perhaps estate agency and listings management? Well, I, I think in terms of generally, in terms of the the, the, the money now that's being poured into co living development. Certainly, if we look at in in that the, there's one huge developer in london that's had half a billion pounds worth of investment um and aside from that then the money's in the states um but th there there is an inc an increasing amount of money now being put into specific co-living solutions um mm -hmm. if we look at the 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 this the, the, the united states market i think over the sort of 10 um big co-living operators in the states that are either developing, owning, or just operating, There's, they have together created 3,000 shared rooms, which is um, for 50 metres of where I'm sat now, there's probably 3,000 rooms in London. I mean, it's a tiny, tiny amount of, 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 
of rooms that have been created. Um, in London, if we look at the, the major developer, there are 1,200 rooms. Um, you know, we are just touching the surface. And, and I was quite surprised, uh, uh, David um, from Nottingham, mm. sound like we're on blind dates, but David from Nottingham, I, I was quite surprised, but then again, not necessarily totally surprised that you hadn't heard of it. Mm. Um, um, but, but, and I guess that's because it's still in its infancy. And, you know, I'm mm. guessing if we, if we look at people like Luke as well, he'll know that there's only really one platform where you can find um, a tenant for a shared house unless you're marketing, you know, on your own websites and, and doing your own marketing. So it's still very, very... In, 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 in its infancy globally. Um, and yet there is an increasing interest in it from the investment community. There's a huge amount of interest in, um, in, in the States, in big urban areas. So I, I can only see this kind of increasing um, over time as, as, you know, I think that we're going to discuss it in more detail around, you know, the drivers behind it. But it's, you know, we are, we are sitting at the very start of what I believe to be a <clears throat> fundamental in the way we offer uh, you know, living solutions to the mm. market from you know the, the, the young millennial, whatever that is actually, Generation X, all the way through to David Bonk's target market, who are people just a little bit older than me, probably. <laughs> and, uh, in, the, in the early states, it's a great point, Dan Wolstead. Um, it is, it's a bit countercultural right now, this co-living. It might disrupt coach sales. We call them coaches in the UK, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's the idea of having, having more by having less, having less of the things that we were born to think that are important, like three coaches and high fence and, you know, everything's mine. And I just, I have it all there. You know, we have less of that stuff in order to co-live, but we'll have more of, you know, freedom to explore the hobbies that we want, um, more maybe nutritious food because we have someone maybe preparing that for us, you know, more, more relationships with, with people and exploring the richness in that. Um, so it might, you know, really disrupt or sort of what, what some people think is important. And that might be, that might be one of the big benefits of, you know, what we're, what we're all doing here. So. No, I'd, add, I'd add to that, David, as well. I think one of the things that, that comes through often when we're talking about these, this subject is the need to create um, community because it addresses some of the failings that there are in contemporary society today, largely wrought by technology. So, so um, that's Facebook, Dan, not, not, not PropTech. But if you, if, you, if you talk to folk, many folk will tell you now they feel less connected than they've ever connected, despite being arguably more connected by virtue of the technology that they have. And I think that human touch, that human connection, that desire to belong is really strong. And if anything, by, re by repurposing existing buildings, but, but more importantly, I think what will happen is we'll build specifically for uh, the product to address the need that we're talking about. What you'll end up doing is you'll, you'll redefine the way people live. And in that sense, it's disrupting because it's disruptive, not in a negative sense, it's actually making a contribution to, to, to the wellness and well-being of, of societies in which we live. Like, I think that's, a, I think that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a, a laudable ambition, but actually it's absolutely what's going to happen. It'll take some time, take some while, but that's where we're going to end up, I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah. I, think, I think that's absolutely essential as well, to be honest, the way the market is and the way people are with technology at the moment. Um, 
that I think it just it needs to get a bit more mainstream traction because I'm quite interested as to where um, the developers market the properties because on the main private rental sector obviously we market on Rightmove, Zoopla, platforms like that where people know to go and then if you're on the nightly rates serviced accommodation it's generally Airbnb and Booking.com so where does co-living sit in terms of a marketing platform to the public? When I was searching for my place, um, I was just sort of, I picked some cities that I wanted to live in and I googled co-living Barcelona, co-living Prague, but co-living so, and just sort of like looked at the top three searches. And there's also, there is a platform called, um, I think it's just co-living.com, where it's almost like a, kind of like Airbnb and it's so, but you, you click on, so it's like a, it, kind of like Airbnb where you can choose uh, your room but you don't book it directly you kind of go to the website from there so it's just a middleman I guess to connect the two and I found that tool really really useful because I could you know see what was available in the cities where I wanted to go or what wasn't available in cities where I wanted to go. And does that does that work for the developers amongst the panel does that work in terms of giving you enough leads and occupancy for the developments? So for us, for us now it does, Dan, for the time being. But but as the developments get bigger and our, our ambitions our ambitions grow, then that may not be the case. But and the, but the, that's that's actually the reason we chose right from the beginning to create a consumer-facing lifestyle brand. So Higgy House is not a property company. Higgy House is a place where we create places for people to stay, um, regardless of the tenure and regardless of the type. But very focused on the customer need and the experience that they have with us. And as a consequence, that marks that a being a bit different, but it also means it is quite difficult to find, let's call them conventional channels, because the conventional channels don't yet exist, because this isn't conventional. Mm. So in, in that sense, what we've sought to do is say, right, fine, we're gonna to have to do some of this ourselves, uh, with the, uh, and, and draw the people to us. Mm. So we'd, we'd love to think that if Fang Harrod went and searched on, you know, Swansea, um, and she might, we might come up, you know, we might not, you know, we don't know yet. What we're seeking to do at the, at the present is to use social media, use all the various technologies available to us to build some presence that actually draws the communities and people who, who want to live in this way to us for now, and then eventually you'll get to a point. There'll be a you know there'll there'll, there'll be an app for for, uh, for finding a co-living, mm. just like there are apps for other things, right? That, yeah. That can, uh, can I just sorry touch on something that you just said when you sort of looked at um, you said you use social media quite a lot. That's something I looked at when I was looking. So I, I wanted to see what the you know who the people who I would potentially be living uh with what sort of what that what was going on in the house what events were going on um sort of how active were they on social media because i thought that if they weren't that active then uh, is it going to be a bit of a dodgy house does anybody even live there is it a scam am i going to get murdered um (laughs) and it you know it's all all that kind of stuff and i did choose um i sort of did scrub off a couple of places where i was thinking well they don't seem to you know they don't have a facebook they don't have an instagram i how do i know that they're real and how do i know that anybody's even living there at the moment um so yeah i think um somebody my age <laughs> definitely does look on social media for activeness you you're bringing a fun interesting point about trust and security as well as it happens but uh, in a light-hearted way but i should <laughs> come back a little bit to the whole marketing angle and, and by the way i'm going to i was going to say there's a push and a pull with everything um and so the the, the push part might be some of the drivers you know that we can perhaps talk about mm. 
But in terms of pull, you know, Angara, you were looking for something specific. You were looking mm. for to stay with perhaps people with shared interests for a short period of time in a, an overseas location. You had something specific in mind. I don't know if you actually knew the word co-living. Uh, I did, um, okay. but that, I tend to know it through work and through what I do. So I think mm. that if I didn't do what I did, what I do, I probably wouldn't have heard of it, and yeah. therefore I wouldn't know what I'd be looking for. Mm. Yeah, and that's why I was going to come to Dan on that one because you know do do you promote your um, accommodation as co living spaces, Dan? Um, we do. We we and we, and we we did when we started a couple of years ago. We similar to again, Luke talked about the, uh, a sort of a customer facing brand rather than a than a house. Our models are different. We lease on a long term basis. Some people might know that as rent to rent. Um, so we don't own anything, which makes it more difficult for us to create those those kind of um, great spaces inside. But our premise has always been that actually what we're, what we're all about is creating a good customer experience. And, and because we were unable to, you know, maybe invest in these properties in the way that a developer had, we started to look at other things that we could do to create that experience, which is why we came up with the, 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 the idea of creating a mobile platform for our tenants. Um, so, so yes, we, we did call it co-living. I mean, I personally hate the, 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 the three-letter acronym HMO. It just sounds horrible. It's, uh, you know, I, I, when I first heard it, I thought it might be something to do with the prison service. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's, it, it just conjures up a, a really depressing scenario as far as I'm concerned. So I'm glad, you know, even if it's just we've rebranded something to kind of say, hold on, guys, let's try and create something in this space that feels and sounds better. So I'm kind of, you know, even glad that we're, we're talking about co-living spaces and whilst we've you know identified that it's more than just the, the property itself it certainly feels as though we're now bringing this part of the housing sector into something that's slightly more acceptable and people now focusing on creating kind of a good living experience i think it's you know i think that's great i really do we also mentioned something interesting there about hmos you know and, and i because i when i do my little bit of speaking on the pin circuit as i do one of the things that we talk about when i'm articulating it is why I don't like the term HMM, why it's banned in the land of Higgy. And it's not for conventional reasons. It's actually banned because the customer does not understand what it is. You don't wake up in the morning and say, mm, I think I'll go and look for, to live in an HMO today. So if that's the case, why on earth would you, why on earth would you use that, that language in your communication to your customer segment? You wouldn't. So yeah, that, I, can, I can totally vouch for that because when I talk to my friends about my work and I go, I interviewed this, you know, this HMO guy and they're like, what <laughs> they have no idea what it is and i wouldn't know what it is if i didn't do what i do because this is where i think the fundamental is a shift in thinking and that's why it's, it is very it's very nascent very early days but it is going to be huge i have absolutely no no question of a doubt this is going to be an absolutely huge uh, part of the market institutional money starting to appear um we ourselves have just uh, just uh, agreed terms on what effectively allows it effectively gives us infinite capital um, coming from um, from Hong Kong um, and allows us to bring our plans further forward by five years. So we, we're now contemplating um, uh, purpose-built 50 to 250 uh, bed units um, internationally because the money started to appear. 
It, so it's not just the, 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 the folk with vision and the folk who are early into these marketplaces. It is now being backed by the folk on the money side saying, actually, you know what, this is an interesting way to play uh, real estate. So let's make large sums of capital available to allow this to, to, to begin to accelerate. And we're already seeing that. Show me the money, eh? Show me Show the money. money. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Follow the dollars. Absolutely. So, uh, David Bonk, actually, I'm probably going to bring you back in at this point because, A, you're a developer. Uh, B, you've got a slightly different perspective, obviously, with uh, the, the different demographic that you're um, serving. Um, what would you say, and, and it's just to lead into this part of the conversation, uh, what would you say are the sort of the trends or the drivers behind what we're seeing as the, this emerging co-living space, shared living in, in community? Well, driven largely by younger people, um, just disheartened by, you know, uh, the, the barriers to entry of purchasing real estate, um, maybe wanting to have more like it being unaffordable, um, maybe just wanting to do things differently than their, than their parents and grandparents did. That's probably been the driver, wanting a more free lifestyle, like looking for uh that hybrid between owning and renting maybe sort of like how digital currency sort of started is probably a young person sitting on his couch going i don't really want to go to work i want to stay on my couch how can i create an income from there and uh you know digital currencies are here and popularized um co-living i think is starting from there as well People wanting to to live in a different way. Uh, <clears throat> I suppose that's the that's been the the driver. But I also think um, just out of necessity, the the rates for homelessness, especially among seniors, are really skyrocketing, and especially the western part of Canada. So you know, how can we how can we have how can we house people, which is now just been entered into the Charter of Human Rights in, in Canada that we're going to house people. That's a new thing, I believe. Um, Co-living, I think, is, uh, you know, if we can get used to having less less stuff and less personal space, just what we need, that's going to really drive the, drive the trend as well. With, uh, yeah. Um, but back to that marketing piece, I also had, wouldn't mind bookending that as well. If, uh, I've been hesitant, very cautiously using the word co-living in any any of our marketing. When I do the odd social media post, uh, I'm more speaking for the older adults. I'm more, when we do a social media post, we're talking to sort of the 60-year-old, like the the child of of our client, and we're relying on them to talk to their parent about, you know, coming here. So we don't really use the word co-living because I don't think that it's commonly known in, in that age group uh, here anyways but we do describe like the feeling and we lead with our brand and people sort of get it we get the odd comment about oh what is this a like a, a communal hippie living development from the 70s we get the odd comment like that which I enjoy um, but uh, yeah we haven't used the word co-living too too often for sure so. I'm sure we're going to get to, well, how can this become more mainstream? And I suspect marketing and language is going to play a part in that. Um, I just think, you know, in terms of the the drivers, whether they're trends, mega trends, you know, the whole concept of an HMO 
um, probably came about because of shortage of um, you know living space. Um, would you agree that's one of the drivers perhaps behind this trend? I mean, I think certainly uh, in major urban conurbations, you know, if you look at the top five or ten cities in the world, um, they'll all be kind of leading the, I think, leading the, the demand side of the co-living model. I mean, just looking at um, places like Berlin, um, there's some rent control issues in Berlin, but the co-living market in Berlin is, is vibrant and growing. Um, London, uh, New York, um, places like San Francisco also there. They're, and these are, these are places where essentially it's too expensive to live if you're on a pretty standard income. Um, and there's also not much space to build. So that, that, that almost, I, I've often described this as there's almost a perfect storm in, in some parts of the globe with regards to the demand for what we're doing. Um, back in the day, it was a, a shared house with five rooms and we called it an HMO. And there was a, essentially the housing crisis was, was, was here, I guess, 15 years ago. I think we've never, I think for 30 years, they've never hit the, the new build targets in this country. So we could always argue that there's been a, there's been a, a supply issue. Um, the, the, I think in urban spaces like London, um, whilst the, 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 the stock has been built, um, and whilst HMOs were providing a solution, co-living is the next generation of the shared home where it's, it's, it's addressing some of the issues that we've all discussed around there was an increased feeling of loneliness in this ever-connected world, but we're just spending time, ironically, on our screen. I know that I'm here to talk about what we do on our screen, but that does mean that, that the evolution of the HMO meant how can we create community? Um, and... and I think that if you look at the fundamentals, it's it's, it's simple, isn't it? It's, it's it's supply and demand. There's you know there's there's an, an, an a cost issue. There's not enough stock. There are more people looking because the prices are going up. So whilst all those fundamentals are, are, are kind of pointing toward you know an increase in the number of people that need to live in these sorts of places, we're now looking at how we can make them even better. And whether that's because we want to compete with other people or whether we want to actually create a better product and, and start calling tenants. I don't even like to call tenants tenants. I think that's a poor description of somebody that's a customer. I call them mm -hmm. housemates. Um, so we're all, you know, and I'm interested to, 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 to discuss the, the, the how do we make it mainstream. You mentioned language. I think that would be a big part of it. I think talking about it in a, in a, in a different way and treating as as housemates and customers is all going to be part of the kind of the move toward this. Yeah. What about in terms of facilities? Well, um, like you sort of say about trying to make it more mainstream. Um, the reason why I don't currently live in a co-living slash HMO uh, kind of shared house at the moment is because I work from home. And many, I've not come across a house that provides a workspace for me, um, apart from, well, that's something specifically I was looking for when I was sort of going to go on my co-living adventure. Because um, by the time I sort of paid rent on a, uh, on a HMO, 
or on a room and I've got a co-working space as well or a, a service office, I might as well have just paid rent on a one bedroom flat because <laughs> it would have worked out the same. Um, so is that something that you two are kind of, or all of you are looking in implementing in your future houses? Well, let me, let, you, you must come and see our next project. <laughs> Alrighty. We're converting a hotel um, and it uh, will end up being nine, this will be 19 bedrooms, um, 10 of them are studios, not, uh, 10 rooms, nine studios. And it has a library, refectory, it has a mm. cinema, um, it has a chill out room. It also has a co-working space. Mm, that, so something that I've noticed is that like people just go, oh, you've got a desk in the room. I go, well, I don't, I sleep in my room. I don't, I, you wouldn't expect somebody to sort of work in their bedroom all day and then go to like, I was just like, no, thank you. No, we're, 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 we're seeing um, a, a different model evolve, which is effectively hybridization of co-working, co-living and service accommodation. Mm. And where we want to go is purpose built because unfortunately many of the buildings that exist aren't suitable for the purposes we have identified for them. It's purpose built where if you imagine co-working on the ground floor, uh, co-living in the middle and um, we even got some funky ideas to put um, airstream caravans on the roof for service accommodation so that what you effectively create is a single property or building or it could be a collection of properties which combine all the things that you know, living, right? Mm. How we live and work, how we want to live and work. And how we see things ultimately manifesting is in um, what we call a Higgy village. And that's effectively um, an urban campus, because uh, let's go back to one of the drivers, urbanization, an urban campus comprised of multiple buildings where each building is, is significant in size, is designed around a life stage. But all of those buildings are collected together by a set of shared amenities designed very specifically to foster intergenerational community. Because I think that's one of the things that's missing from from our society today. I've been fortunate enough to run businesses in the Far East and the US as well. And in the Far East, it's, it's a given. You, you, grandma looks after the kids whilst the children go to school. Go to school. You know, there's a whole uh, sense of, of community that's actually in family too, that's missing from how we live today. So what we're trying to do, and what we're all about, is working on the fact that people want to live in urban settings. Urbanization is one of the big global drivers that's driving this. There's, there's, there's many, many people now want to come back into the live in the city centers. That's one thing. Second is unaffordability, to use David, David's phrase, I love that word, unaffordability. That, that also is driving this. So what that leads us to is we have to make better use of the land and the, and the real estate assets in the cities where people want to live. You're not going to do that by simply redoing something that's already been done. You're going to have to rethink it, reframe it, knock some stuff down to build something new. And, and that's what we want to do. Uh, and, and, and I think some of the developers who are raising very significant sums of money, Collective was mentioned, half a billion, uh, Commons another, that recently 300 million. There, there are some really significant players, eight, nine, ten of them, some from the Far East, some from the US, all of whom are lining up really significant sums of money to do exactly what I've just described. They're yeah. building 500 bed, 700 bed, um, uh, the collective's new uh, building is 700 bed. They've got a unit coming out, in, uh, in one in New York, one in uh, Chicago. I believe they bought a site in Brooklyn that is 350,000 square feet. Now, this is where things are headed, right? So, so it, 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 I think, is redefining how we live. It's as fundamental as that and why I believe it's going to be huge. Yeah, and I perhaps wanted to just pick up on that a little bit because um, there's some of the economic drivers, which, you know, are very obvious and, you know, the trends of urbanisation, lack of space, unaffordability. And, um, but are there some other uh, factors such as society changes, um, which are perhaps playing a part in this? 
well, how about how about you know increasing levels of suicide? How about increasing um, degrees of loneliness? I mean, there's some negative factors in society that need to be addressed because they're just un they're un they're an uncomfortable consequence of technology as it stands today. I don't personally, you know, want to if I if I can do something about that, I don't want to stand by and allow, and not do something about it. You know, so so let's live in a you know a, a, a more a more harmonious a more positive. Um, environment where well-being is at the centre of what we're doing, because that's also an important part of what I think co-living is all fundamentally all about. It's the well-being of the individuals in your charge, if you are a developer or an owner or an operator, and that's 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 the focus on the customer, and, and that's the bit that we're we're trying also to do. So, for example, in um in uh, in our thinking, it's not yet a, a, re a reality, but we want to create um, uh, growing spaces, in other words, where people can actually have some land to grow things, for example where they can learn new skills. So art becomes an important part of the proposition, either because you want to learn to be an artist or you want to, you, you enjoy art and beautiful things around you. So you want to be able to create things. So this whole sense of creativity that goes beyond the digital realm uh, into built into the fabric of the building. And, and that's, that, that's what we're trying to, trying to get to. It's going to take us a while and it's going to take a, a fair amount of money, I'm pretty sure of that. But that's what we're seeking to, seeking to accomplish over time. Absolutely. So are you looking at sort of creating a um, place where people might not necessarily need to leave the, the building or the village in order to live? Yeah, why not? And and you know, and technology does bring, technology in terms of, and I don't mean necessarily technology from an app, like an app perspective. Technology from adapt how you make a building is adaptable. Sure. So how you reconfigure how how you make use use of small space. I mean, the the, uh, the, the Japanese are, are masters at it, and, and particularly with Tokyo, a biggest city on the planet. Right? It has to be because there is nowhere to go except being far more effective with the space you've got. The technology lends itself to how you configure the space. But absolutely, why not? Mm. Why would it not be that you you find a place to live? You love the way it lives. You you you're associated as you pass through life stages. There's a, a another option for you to uh, to stay. And, and do you and think maybe talking from my own personal experience, when I was in university, my halls was right next door to uni, and I went to a specialised music college, so it was full of things that I absolutely loved. I was surrounded by people who were doing the same as me, who loved what I loved. Um, but I actually ended up getting, I had quite severe mental health issues because I was just living in this little bubble surrounded by people who were the same. And I wasn't being exposed to anything different. And so I was just, you know, Halls was here, university was 30 seconds walk away. And I had, I was just living in this tiny little piece of Manchester and I got, I got very, very sick because of it. So how do you think that you could potentially combat that and sort of expose people or like encourage people to leave and go out, <laughs> leave the bubble and go out and sort of go for walks or whatever? Intergenerational. I think, I think that's the key. That's the, that's the trick. There's some, if, you go, if you go online now and you search, you'll find um, um, videos, YouTube videos of some really interesting experiences, some in the Far East, where they've taken uh, older adults and they've thrown them together with millennials, young youngsters, to see what happens. And in other words, create co-living, intergenerational co-living. Amazing things happening. There's some experience, um, experiments that have been conducted in, um, in Europe with putting old folk with small children. So, so you, you, and, and the, um, the effect on the mental health of the older folk involved in the care of these little ones, remarkable transformations occur. So I think there's, there's, there's place. What, and how do you 
work inside the place, but also space. How do you create the space, but also how do you create the connections? And I think um, we are missing the fact that we all used to rely on grandma, auntie, uncle, you know, all these, all these, uh, uh, the, the, the wisdom and experience of age to okay. help us. Well, let's bring some of that back. Well, we used to live in, we used to live in little villages and things, didn't we? And we had, you know, the, everyone would support everybody else and we'd all muck in and we've kind of then migrated away. We've gone into the cities, we've gone into our nuclear families and, um, or, uh, you know, uh, the niche that you were in, Angarad, for example. And, and I think it's, it's starting to play out in society. That's where I was getting with other, other society issues. So you should talk about one, which is mental health and loneliness who's been mentioned you know they're drivers for change and so you know we're seeing a lot of this co-living model it's still early stages and it sounds to me luke you're at the you know you're a niche within a niche you know pioneering pioneering for the pioneers you know (laughs) in taking it forward well there you go uh hopefully got a lot out of that that's part one of the conversation uh in my intro i did say it's an hour and 22 minutes uh in total it's an hour and 22 minutes obviously split over two sessions so uh hopefully that didn't scare you when you heard that right at the beginning you weren't going to sit for an hour and 22 minutes in one particular sitting unless you wanted to of course but um yeah hopefully it's given you a bit of a flavor direction of travel of where we're going with this conversation there's more to come obviously um there's some some big brains and you know real you know big hitters i suppose in terms of people operating in this space um on on the panel and we we take the conversation further uh, and deeper in part two so that's going to be great just a bit of a, a shout out really the 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 facilitator behind this was helen pollock who of course you know it's familiar to many of you she actually was uh, driving this and i believe that uh, dan dan jackson who was one of the panelists was um a catalyst in that as well so some some credit obviously to helen and to dan uh, for uh, enabling this or, or conceiving this idea and then enabling this to come about. So I was very happy to host it and we had some very good uh, participants, as you can tell. So um, the the conversation was, you know, did take place some time ago. So things may well have changed since then. So uh, it's taken a little time to get this to publication, but I'm very happy that we've done so now. Um, if you'd like to connect with any of the participants, all the contacts are going to be in the show notes. Uh, or indeed, just drop us an email and I'll be happy to introduce you on to any of the participants if uh, if you'd like to do that. Just a bit of a signpost there. Um, thepropertyvoice.net is where you're going to find all the show notes and podcast at thepropertyvoice.net is where you can reach out. And uh, I'll pick up that, uh, that message and I'll gladly introduce you if you'd like to do that. But I guess uh, I'll draw a line there, leave it at part one. We'll come back with part two next week. So hopefully you'll join us for that. And we'll have you know the second part of the conversation around co-living. And uh, I'll, I'll draw a line. And uh, all, all that remains to say is uh, if you want to talk about anything from today's show, by all means, reach out to me at the contacts referenced. Um, besides that, I'd just like to say thanks very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Prophecy Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.